This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 8th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. My name is Brian Bull, and I was part of the station all four years, 2004 to 2008. Okay. Do you remember the shows and programs you worked on at the station? Absolutely. Um, so for the music shows, I was cleared for Jazz Cafe. That was the first block format show that I was the DJ for uh, in my career and also Rock and Roll Oasis. I was also, and I'm sure we'll get into it, I was the news director. So obviously Newsline was a big uh, big part of my uh, daily uh, responsibilities at WRHU. And I also contributed to Morning Show as well. Okay. Did you work on any of the weekend programs or community affairs shows? Not as a, as a regular slot. Um, when I was a member of the AB, I, I would fill in uh, now and then. Um, a lot of my friends, they, they would be, um, their slots they would have, um, they would engineer for uh, people like Tony Jackson or uh, Eileen Cronin. Um, so every now and then I, I would fill in. Uh, but that wasn't my, my usual slot. I, I had my normal slot. It, it was during the week. And then um, with the sports programs I was involved in and, and, and the news component. But um, I, I didn't have a regular slot on the weekends. But I was always part of the uh, the marathons and things like that. <laughs> always a good time. Um, so you mentioned news director. What uh, titles and positions did you have at the station? Sure. So I started out, I was the assistant news director uh, under uh, Jamie Morris, who um, went on to have a great career and, and currently still has a great career um, in, uh, in radio uh, in, uh, in the New York market. Uh, but I was an assistant uh, to Jamie uh, for a year. And then in um, my sophomore year in 2000 or junior year, I should say in, in 2006 to 2007, I was news director as well. Um, and uh, Kathleen um, Shortis at the time, she was Kathleen Reddington, was an assistant uh, to me uh, before um, moving on up and eventually becoming a station manager. Um, so I had a couple, so I was, my titles were mainly focused uh, um, in the news department. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or personas or did you just use your own name? No, I'm pretty bland, Brian. I just use my uh, my own name. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a nickname or um, any. Um, they didn't shorten my name or anything like that. So I was just uh, Brian Bull on the air and off the air. Okay, very good. Um, two part question for you, uh, an answer however makes sense to you. Um, but I always want to know what brought people to the station in the first place. And then if you could describe for those of us who weren't there at the same time, what was the station like? Do you remember meeting people? Do you remember what it looked like, what it smelled like? What was going on when you first arrived? Sure. So what uh, interested me in the station initially was I was a print journalism major, or I was going to be a print journalism major uh, because I did the training class. Actually, uh, my interview was before the fall semester of my freshman year even started. Uh, but I enrolled in Hofstra because at the time, I thought my career path would be uh, as a newspaper reporter. Um, I, I was very interested in writing and, and being a journalist, um, but it wasn't my ambition to be on air or, or, or be on TV or anything like that. But I knew that when I joined, uh, when I got accepted into Hofstra and I started reading about the opportunities and, and what was available on campus, um, I quickly learned about the radio station and its real stellar reputation um, and the fact that it was a, a 24-hour station, seven days a week, broadcast throughout the year. Um, that was something that was very intriguing to me because the school newspaper and the opportunities for, for print on campus 
whether it was the newspaper or, or the magazine, they only had um, finite um, pr- uh, publishing schedules. Mm-hmm. The, the newspaper was weekly, the magazine was quarterly, and they didn't do anything in the uh, intercessions or over the summer. But the radio station was always available. And I thought that would make for a lot of good opportunities. And at the time, I, I thought um, it might be good just to kind of hone, um, um, you know, have a diverse skill set for journalism because newspapers were just starting to have a digital presence and, and having their reporters, um, I guess it would be like the precursors to what podcasts are now, but they would they were just starting to do these kind of like quick hitters. So I thought it would be a good chance just to be a more well-rounded uh, reporter. So I joined um, where I put in an application um, during one of the orientations and I got called in for uh, for an interview. Um, and I think it was late August of my um, of my freshman year or what would have been my, my first semester freshman year, which was the fall of 2004. Um, so I came in, I, I did my interview. Um, it was before classes started. So there was hardly anybody in the building. It was my first time in what was called Dempster Hall, the, the communication school. So I actually got a little bit lost because I had never been in the building. It was there was hardly anybody around, so a lot of doors were shut. I wasn't quite sure where the where the yeah. station was, um, and then I, I found out there were just uh, double doors that I thought were locked, and apparently they weren't. So I made my way uh, through the doors and then found the station. And uh, my interview was with uh, Ed Ingalls and uh, Nick Rafter, and um, th- those two individuals uh, were really helped shape in the future my career at the station. Uh, but those were the two people. Um, that was my introduction to WRHU. That was my first time. I got to see the uh, the studios, got to see the the conference room. There was hardly anybody else uh, around. But just walking in, you kind of got the sense that it was a special place. Um, I, I had never really um, been a part of a of a communications department like that, or a, or a radio station in high school, or anything previous to that. So just to see um, whether it was the the vinyls on the rack or the um, um, the DAT machine, you know, all the uh, the pieces of, of equipment that seem ancient now, they were they actually seem you know pretty modern when when I walked in. It seemed like a very uh, dynamic and, and, and exciting place, and, and that was when hardly anybody was around. Um, so just uh, seeing that and, and walking in, and um, I was lucky, you know, the interview went really well because uh, I was interested in news, and I didn't know at the time, but those uh, saying saying that was basically a magic word to to Nick and Ed who were interviewing me. Cause once, once you mentioned to them that um, you were, that you wanted to do news, uh, you were going to be fast friends uh, w- w- with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that was right up their alley. Um, so it just sort of everything, it was just a good feeling walking in for the first time. And just um, the fact that those were the two individuals who uh, interviewed me, um, it was just uh, very uh, serendipitous. I, I, I thought it was, um, you know, it, it really put me on a, on a path to a special place and, and a radio station that, has meant so much to me. Um, you know, we're talking 20 years later now. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sure you didn't know at the time, but was it usual for people to interview before uh, your first semester or was that just sort of an off chance that you happened to be available? I, I, I don't know if it was for interviewing necessarily before the first semester because uh, there were a lot of people who applied to the station uh, who weren't first year students. We had sophomores or, or juniors or in some cases even seniors who uh, whether it was through word of mouth or, or they had a friend join the station um, and, you know, they, they kind of thought, oh, th- this is an exciting place. I would like to join. Uh, but they ne- they didn't necessarily know about the station or have an interest in it at the start. I was a little bit 
in a different boat just because I knew I wanted to major in, in print journalism and I knew I wanted to be in communications. Uh, so this was, it was a natural fit. So I sort of saw, and there were a lot of people like me that felt the same way. They were going to Hofstra for the communication school and they thought the radio station could be a big part of that experience. Hmm. Uh, but there were a lot of people, it, it was a mix because you had people like me who felt that way. And then you had people who sort of, um, went down a different path, uh, but eventually joined the station. Uh, but I know that they did do the interviews that time of year in late August or early September, uh, because if I remember right, the training class started uh, pretty early in, in the semester, maybe like that first week or, or, or second week. Um, so for the personnel department and, and the EB, they had to weed through the applications and get their uh, training class in order uh, before that, uh, just to get ready for that first week and, and finalize the class. Um, so even though when I interviewed, I don't remember seeing any other applicants, but I, I think they had um, other interviews that day mm. and maybe they might've had somebody after me. So even though the station itself wasn't really, it, they just had the person doing their shift in Studio South, um, there, even though there weren't that many people uh, around, I, I think that was the uh, the goal was just to do those interviews at that time, just to get the, uh, the, tra- the training class finalized. Okay. Um, you kind of mentioned the, um, the orientation, the freshman orientation. And between the time that I was there and I started in 1990 and the time that you were there, sort of the perception of the radio station within the university community somewhat changed. And, and honestly, when I was at freshman orientation, myself and a friend of mine, we had asked about the radio station and no one seemed to know what we were talking about. What was your uh, introduction in orientation since you signed up then? Were, were people aware of it? Were they sort of pushing people towards it? Uh, you know, it was uh, – so if, I, if we're, we're going back almost uh, 20 years now, and 19 years, um, from, from what I remember, there were different events they would have on campus – and it, orientation for me was uh, it was an exciting time because I grew up in Massapequa Park. I commuted, but as part of your orientation, you had to stay in the uh, in the dorms. And I mm-hmm. think it was Nassau Suffolk dorms, if if I can remember right. Um, my memory isn't as <laughs> isn't as good as it used to be. Right. But they would have different parts. Of, uh, they would have different events on different parts of the campus. And I think there was an event at um, at Hofstra USA. And as part of the um, um, the efforts. Um, I would find out later, you know, WRHU would coordinate it where they'd have um, the little like table and banner set up and somebody from the station would go to these different orientation events as just part of a recruitment effort. Um, So I don't remember talking because the students you're with are, they're they're all different majors or have different interests. Um, You're you're not necessarily necessarily with uh, communication students. So I don't remember necessarily um, just talking with other uh, incoming freshmen and people saying like, oh, did you hear about the, the radio station? But since it was something that I was interested anyway, when I noticed the um, the WRHU, the person from WRHU um, with the banner and some information about the, the station, I, I just uh, walked right over because mm-hmm. um, I, I just researching online and, and obviously like the online presence and the website isn't um, nearly as extensive as what it would become. Uh, but they still had a, you know, there was still a website. I, I think it was still WRHU.org. And I, if I remember right, I had been on it once or twice. And, you know, they had the photos of the station and kind of just some basic background. Uh, but it wasn't too in-depth. But having somebody at the station at the orientation, you could just go up. Uh, they had the handout that had more information. They actually, I think if I remember right, they had the um, 
a, a blank application that you could take uh, to fill out. And if you filled it out there, um, you could just submit it there as well. Uh, but you could also ask questions as well. So I just remember thinking, um, I don't remember what I asked, but um, I, I just, I remember actively seeking out that RHU person because uh, it was something that it was in my mind anyway. And if, and I said to myself going in, oh, you know, if there's any free time or if I have a chance to possibly, you know, walk over uh, to the station, uh, you know, I'd like to check it out. And then, you know, just sure enough, they actually had somebody there that kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> that would do the legwork for you. And so if you had any questions or uh, or anything uh, that you wanted to know, you could just ask right there. Uh, so that was sort of my, my first introduction was just um, just having a brief conversation with the uh, with the radio station volunteer uh, who was there for the for the event. And, um, you know, I just remember, you know, um, liking what I heard, um, you know, they went through the basics of, of what the station did. I thought it was very impressive um, that it was a 24 seven station. Um, so filled out the, uh, the application. And, uh, like I said, you know, just got a call back pretty quick and interviewed and, uh, uh, about my first, uh, first week into my, um, first semester in college, I was in the training class and I was more nervous for that training class, I think, than any, uh, any of the five classes I, I took as part of the, uh, the normal curriculum. And I know mm-hmm. for sure for the, the training class, the, uh, the final, I, to this day, I think that was the one exam throughout my entire college career. I studied for that exam uh, the most extensively that pro- probably <laughs> I did for anything else <laughs> in my whole, uh, my whole academic career. <laughs> well, the, there's, there's a lot on the line. And from what I understand from other people, there's, there's not a lot of pressure, but sort of an emphasis on you need to do well in order to pass this. So speaking of that, do you remember anything from the announcing class? you remember maybe who taught it or other people who were in the class? Uh, course with you? Uh, so I know for the, for the announcing class, um, Ed Ingalls was there and, uh, you know, just, it's, it's such a shame for, for the, for the current generation of students and, and the future ones who won't have the opportunity, uh, to, to work with Ed. Um, you know, he, he, he really set the tone for the station because there were a lot of, you know, fellow students and, and upperclassmen who were very helpful to me as well, but they all learned under Ed as well. And they sort of took their cues for, from him and by doing that, um, it was for me at least. I can't speak to anybody else's experience, but for for um, engineering classes or, or announcing classes, um, for somebody like me, again coming from a from a, a print background and not necessarily wanting to be a broadcaster, I was very nervous going into um, classes like that because um, it wasn't it wasn't my wheelhouse. But people like Ed and and, and the uh, student student leaders and managers under him, everybody was very welcoming and supportive. And they were just trying to, to, to get you better. It, it never felt like a competition or it never felt like if you were um, a little raw or, or needed polishing or, or at the start of your career that you felt like you were a lesser part of the station or, or a lesser broadcaster. And that really speaks to the culture and the, uh, the values, I think, that uh, people like Ed and, and, and Bruce and, and John uh, really instilled in, in the station. And that started in the training class and that started with those classes. Uh, and it was it was a great environment, and it also it served two purposes because not only do you help train and get the new uh, and future crop of students acclimated to your station, but if you instill that type of culture, when those freshmen now become juniors and seniors, they're going to pass down those values as well to the new class coming in. And I think that's how you sustain success, and, and you've seen that success as the station has just grown over the years whether it's the Marconi awards or, um, or, or just the opportunities and the, uh, 
and the great things with election night or, or Islanders coverage or, or all the uh, the things that they built on previous success. Um, so I just for, for my classes, that's what stands out to me was just the very supportive atmosphere. Um, just all those people trying to take the pressure off of you mm-hmm. um, and, and just trying to help you improve and, and learn and, and get better. Uh, so that really just stood out uh, to me. And it's not every day that you get to um, to learn under somebody like Ed who had covered mm-hmm. multiple Olympics and, um, you know, fights, you know, famous. Uh, I mean, he was with Muhammad Ali in, uh, in Zaire, you know, like these seminal moments in um, in athletics and, and, and presidential elections. Ed was a broadcasting legend. And uh, so to have somebody like that give you personalized instruction and, and encouragement uh, that's something that really stood out to me and, and, and really sticks with me all, all these years later. Hmm. So you get through this training class, uh, you pass your test, and now it's time to get on the air. Do you remember getting on the air the first time? And if not a specific time, do you remember your feelings about getting on the air generally? I, I do remember. Um, so my, I wasn't on the air, but the, the first time I was ever in the studio my tracking hour was actually with Andy Gladding and Andy, I'm really just happy to see that he's such a big part of the station uh, today. Sure. Um, but, and I'm sure you know, Andy, so to have your first uh, introduction to a studio and to have somebody showing you, um, you know, just how to operate the board, how, how you play the music, how you um, in the future, um, you know, the Digicart, which is how we used to play the uh, the sound cuts for our newsline and morning show programs, that became a that would become a big part of my future. Uh, but everything's brand new to you that that first hour you're in the, the the studio for the first time. So I do remember that because it was just um, so uh, it was so much information to take in. But Andy made it so much fun, and uh, that personality he has now—that's exactly he was he was the exact person then. Just you know. 19 years younger, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it was just great, um, you know, to have somebody like that where, um, somebody who was excited about radio and somebody who obviously turned it into a, into a career, that's the type of person you want to give you your introduction. So that was my first time in the studio. And I think my first time on air was when I signed up to do a, um, um, it was actually like morning show. Cause I remembered right after I, um, passed my training class and I was at the holiday party um, in, in uh, December of 2004. The uh, the producer of Morning Show they needed uh, people to help staff the intercession intercession schedule. Uh, so sure enough, uh, my first I would say sustained time on air was just doing news updates uh, once a week on the the Morning Show uh, in that winter uh, intercession, uh, and that taught me a lot uh, because by doing the news you would go in early. We had access to the Associated Press, so you would um, compile your news reports. Um, edit the stories that came over the wire. Um, you would use uh, the corresponding sound cuts. Um, at the time, it, now it's all digital, um, but at the or, or master control. But at the time, if for any sound cuts you wanted to play, you had to line them up uh, and actually put it on a on a cart, uh, record it in real time, take it out from the newsroom, run down to the station, do the exact same process in reverse. Uh, so that was a it, it really taught you a lot of good things about being a broadcaster, both from the writing standpoint, the technical standpoint. And, and that was my first time really on air consistently. Um, but it wasn't just um, speaking into a microphone. There was so much work that went into that uh, ahead of time. Uh, so I remember that just being a really great experience because it was um, you were learning in real time. These were actual broadcasts. These weren't um, uh, mock uh, shows or anything like that. You were, you were on the air. 
Uh, and uh, morning show was, was just like now, you know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so th- that's the time. Those are the times I remember being consistently in the studio and uh, preparing for a show and going on air for the first time. Um, did you have feelings of, of being nervous doing that or were you excited? Did you feel like you were well prepared? Oh, of, of course. I mean, I, I was nervous, um, especially, you know, the first few times that, that you do it. I don't know. I don't know how when people say that um, they aren't nervous or they took it in stride, um, you know, I guess a, a few people can do that or, or some people that maybe they know for sure, oh, I want to be a news anchor or I want to have a career in this. I guess it just comes naturally. Uh, but it, it didn't for me because um, my background was so different. Um, and I always thought and to this day, I, I think of myself more as a, as a writer than I ever did a, a broadcaster. So I was nervous for it, uh, but I was also excited because uh, when that red light goes on, you're live. You know, you're responsible for, for your words. Um, you know, you're, you're, um, you're broadcast both, you know, FM and, and, and worldwide, you know, online. Um, so there, there's a tremendous uh, reach and responsibility when that microphone goes on. So I was excited and nervous, um, but it's exactly it got me out of my comfort zone. And that's one of the reasons why I joined the station. So even though there were a little bit nerves uh, coming in, it, it was exciting because I was telling myself, this is what you want. The more you do it, the better you're, you're going to get at it. And this is how you grow as a, as a broadcaster. This is how you grow as a reporter. And that, that's the goal. Um, so even though there were some nerves, you know, I, I always um, was excited and grateful for the opportunity. And I realized just how special um, – being able to be um, on air in a on an FM station in New York, you know, just just how much of a great opportunity that is, and I, I never took that for granted. Hmm. I'd like to go back for a second. You mentioned recording the carts in one studio and then having to bring them into the on-air studio. <laughs> for those of us who were there at the same time, could you talk a little bit about that? What was going on there? Sure. Well, it, it was funny because. We're, um, station like everything else it's it's very different now but the newsroom used to be um in the back of the building all the way down the hallway from uh from studio south which is the, the main studio that we would broadcast from so near and the main the time, office or what's that was it near the main office no it was going uh the the, uh, the other direction to okay. where that uh back door is now it's um um it was basically it was um i think now like the converged newsroom um it is where that, that newsroom was, but we had uh, the newsroom was a little room on that side, and the far end, like next to the wall, abutting the door, was Ed's office. That was the that was the professional and residence office, and um, I, I think where the rest of the converged newsroom is now, uh, it was just a classroom. It was um, it was hardly ever utilized. It didn't have any at the time. It didn't have microphones or anything set up. It would just be during the fall and spring semesters. I, I think there were uh, broadcast journalism classes. Um, were, were um, held there, but, but that was it. it uh, the station or even like the school of comms didn't really have that much to do with that area, but we had a small little newsroom on that side. And then, so basically we'd have our computers there. We had a regular printer. We had a dot matrix printer, mm-hmm. which is the one with the old style ribbon and the perforated edges. And this isn't the eighties. This is 2004 to 2008. So it was outdated technology <laughs> even then. Uh, but it kind of gave it a, an old world, um, you know, old school feel to it. Um, but yeah, we, we would load the, the di- it was called a digicart. It was just a, a it was like a big cassette. Um, you would line up your audio cuts from the AP, um, AP system that was on the computer uh, that would correspond to the cuts that you had in your copy. So if, if you were um, at the time, if you were talking about 
President Bush and um, Afghanistan, if there was a, a, a troop surge or something like that, you would have your copy, you would say, um, and President Bush says, and then you would, uh, from the cut, you could line it up and then play uh, whatever the soundbite was. Yeah. But to get the audio onto that um, digicart, um, you would put it into the machine, you would have to line up in the order that you wanted the cuts, and it would record in real time. So if it was a one-minute cut, it would take, I think if I remember right, it would take about a minute to go onto the, the digicart. It's not like now where you, um, if you transfer a file to an external hard drive, you know, you could have gigabytes and you can do it in, you know, seconds or, or minutes, right. depending on the speed. This, you know, if you had five minutes worth of cuts, you, you needed some time because that, that was the time that was needed to put it on the cart. Then you would take the cart from the reader in the newsroom, eject it, run it down to the cart reader in the studio, and then upload it. And it would be the same process, just in reverse. Now you're uploading oh. the sound from the cart to the studio digicart and to have all the, the sound bites ready in the correct order. And it was always like a potpourri because if you had 10 cuts, you know, the odds were good. Eight out of the 10 would fire correctly. Uh, so, <laughs> but the, uh, they hardly ever did a 10 out of 10 or it, it was, it was very rare when it was a hundred percent. So that also kept you on your toes when you were reading the copy because you never, it was like Russian roulette. You never really knew uh, which cut wouldn't fire. And if it, if it didn't play or if it played the wrong one, you had to get ready just to, to edit and audible and uh, just kind of uh, be flexible with the uh, with the copy. Um, so it sounds like Stone Age technology, but this was the you know this was only 19 years ago or so. So um, the technological improvements and capabilities, what what I see now with Master Control, is just uh, just incredible. But um, yeah, there was a lot of um, it was a little more like elbow grease, uh, proverbial elbow grease that was required uh, to get a to get a show ready. Um, going back a couple of decades wow well well thank you for indulging me on that i'm always curious how the technology changes over time and and that ap printer was probably the one that seemed old when i got there and was probably still cranking out those those printed messages but the uh the card stuff that sounds uh that sounds interesting and and harrowing all at the same time. Um, so, so you've got this time during intercession where you're working on the morning show and I guess consistently getting on air time. Was there a moment where you said, well, I feel comfortable here. Like I, I have print journalism in mind, but I can do this. I feel good on the air. Or was it just sort of a gradual moment of like, yeah, I can do this. Uh, you know, it, it was gradual. Uh, but what I liked about the intercessions and then the summer was I started uh, being able to blend what I was doing um, for my print journalism career. And I realized for these events or, uh, or games or, or news events that I was covering uh, that I could sort of repurpose it. And because when I first started, it was sort of siloed off. You know, I, I would have a lot of assignments for the Hofstra Chronicle, you know, the, the newspaper or uh, some of these uh, sports blogs and websites I was working for just to get experience. So at the start, I would do my writing. And then uh, for the radio station, I would just have my slots or, or newsline or, or morning show, whatever I was doing, I would just concentrate on that and, and record. Uh, but they were kind of siloed off. But um, one of the big, I would say the big turning point for me was I met um, Mark Wiener, um, who was um, who was a longtime CBS engineer. Mm -hmm. And he uh, came back to the station. He was retired. And he um, was nice enough to volunteer his time and, and expertise Um to help the, you know, the, the, the station in, in, in any way that he could. And, um, you know, even to this day, his influence um, is felt everywhere because he basically, Mark rebuilt WRHU studios, a lot of the, uh, the recording suites, 
uh, the production, you know, things like that, that we kind of take for granted. Um, they were all either um, thought of by Mark or Mark would help get the, um, Mark got us so much uh, equipment. He was instrumental. And in when we got automation for the first time and master control and a lot of the things we have in the studio to this day, Mark would help us get from CBS because it would be discarded if, if CBS in this, um, both the network and local in Manhattan, if they got a studio upgrade, they would have a lot of um, you know this older technology now that they had no use for, mm-hmm. but it was still you know night and day difference compared to what we had. So Mark would just um, you know let John you know because he would have contacts in CBS you know guys that were still working there that he knew from his time there. So they would give him a call and say, hey, do you want um, we have an old master control board? Do you want it? Or we have um, you know this type of um, um, equipment. So they would just like go pick it up and bring it to the to the studio, and Mark would outfit it for everything. Um, so I just wanted to just to credit him um, because he did so much for the station, but he also helped me um, because he provided me with um, uh, some of the tools, like the editing software that I could have on my laptop. Where if I was out covering something in the field, I just I, I invested some money and bought um, like a really good voice recorder. And what I would do is then instead of just doing um, um, interviews for uh, with my cheap tape recorder for my print assignments where I would just, you know, record and try to just, you know, write things for, for, for quotes for my newspaper stories. Mm-hmm. I said, if I do these same interviews, I can do my newspaper stories. Uh, but if the audio is better, I can then repurpose that audio. And now it's not just a story that I wrote. I can um, do like a 40 second or one minute uh, piece for Newsline or Morning Show. And because of Mark and giving me the, um, um, the, the technical expertise and the software to, to uh, be able to do that on my laptop and not have to always just run back to the, uh, the station. Cause if I was out covering something um, out on the Island, you know, I could just go home and, and uh, work on it from, from there, record it and then email it in uh, to use for the show for the next day, whether it was morning show or newsline. Um, so by having that capability, that was a big turning point for me mm. uh, because I was able to, um, to, expand uh, what I could cover. So it wasn't just now ripping and reading news. If I was out covering a, a game or at the time that the Jets were practicing on Hofstra's campus, that was their headquarters. And, and that's where they had training camp. Um, so our, at the time, our sports department, they were just really interested in Hofstra sports. They really didn't do anything with the uh, professional sports, but I was covering the Jets for, um, for some local papers, um, for the Chronicle and I said, hey, if, if I'm out here, um, like covering when Brett Favre, you know, got signed or or traded for or, you know, just if, if there's a practice, you know, before they play the Dolphins, whatever this week, if I'm out there, why not just take that audio and have something for um, the, the sports report on Newsline the next mm. day or something like that? So I was able um, just by having um, the help of, and support of people like Mark in the station um, that was a big turning point for me because uh, I was able to really expand what I could do. And I think the station benefited from that uh, because I covered whether it was the Jets or the Islanders. You know, this is before um, WRHU had the contract to broadcast the Islanders. Um, and nobody at the time, even though they were playing right across the street at the Coliseum, RHU didn't really have anything to do with it. But I was lucky enough because I loved hockey and I was in the same deal, I, same boat. I covered um, the Islanders for again, the Chronicle for, for local papers. Eventually I was able to freelance and, and do some uh, um, game coverage for the daily news and the associated press. Uh, but I had a season credential. 
But I said, you know, if, hey, if I'm in the locker room and I'm, I'm talking to these guys after the game, you know, why not? Like, it's going to make the station sound good that, you know, we're sending people out to, to the Coliseum, you know, or we're sending people out to, to Giant Stadium or, or Shea Stadium or, or, or Yankee Stadium. Um, so I think I definitely benefited just from, um, you know, having my pieces aired on many different shows and being able to have a, a tape reel. And I think the station benefited because people would hear that, oh, look, look, the station, if you if you join the station, you have the, an opportunity to cover college sports, professional sports. You can cover um, political debates in the city. Um, you know, we did a lot of that. There were a lot of uh, debates at Pace University that we would get credentials for, uh, whether it was race for uh, uh, primaries for, for the Senate, Hillary Clinton at the time, or um, – you know, for, for, for governor. Um, so there were a lot of opportunities um, where you weren't just uh, stuck in the studio. If you wanted to go out and uh, cover uh, exciting events or, or, or newsmakers, you had the opportunity to, to, to do that. Um, and the intercession and the summer session really stood out for me as chances to do that just because, you know, you had plenty of time. And if you didn't need, need the studio during those times, um, there wasn't competition for it. You know, you could just go out, enterprise a story and go back into the studio and you'd have, you'd have all the time in the world to, to put it together. Uh, so it was sort of a less pressure pressurized environment uh, in the intercessions and the summer sessions uh, to broadcast then. Uh, but it allowed you as an individual to, to broaden your skills. And I think uh, consequently the station, the station benefits as well when students do that uh, because it just makes the, um, the whole news gathering operation look pretty ambitious and, and it gets people excited about the station's capabilities and what it can offer uh, young broadcasters. Hmm. So you've got this support from Mark Wiener and Andy Gladding and Ed Ingalls and John Mullen. I mean, these are, these are huge names in the history of Hofstra radio and, and, and broadcasting. Uh, these are great mentors and, and instructors, but who else was around uh, that helped you get comfortable at the station? Who were you working with in those early days? Sure. So um, I mentioned earlier when I was the assistant news director, uh, Jamie Morris uh, was, was a news uh, was a news director. So I was working under her, and she's gone on to, to a just a tremendous career. Um, and she, she's you know doing a great morning show now. Uh, but somebody like that, because um, at the time when I started, she, you know, she was already uh, pretty established at the station. And she would uh, go on to be a station manager, so she definitely had great leadership capabilities and, and was a terrific broadcaster. Uh, you know, even even then, even, even when she was, uh, you know, 20, 21, 22, you know, she was terrific on air uh, and had wonderful talent even then. Um, so people like that, it was exciting to see because, you know, when you're 18, you know, when somebody's 20 or 21, it actually is like a pretty big difference. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of people when I first started, like Jared Greenberg was the sports director when I, when I got out of, out of the training class. And Jared now is on NBA TV and, you know, you see him on NBA finals on, on the network. Like it's, it's incredible what he's been able to do. So that's the type of talent that I was walking into uh, when I started my career. Um, so, you know, people like that, even though they were busy, um, obviously lining up what would ultimately become very successful careers for them. Um, you know, you could, as a, you know, you could walk in and they would be working on something. And if you had questions about uh, just simple things like, hey, it's the first time I I'm using the Marantz, which is the, the, the mm -hmm. uh, voice recorder. Um, you know, how do I, you know, at the time it was like, how do I transfer the tape or how do I, uh, 
um, you know, check my levels or, or, or how do I plug in a board or for, for, a, for a remote or things like that. And th- they were just great resources because, you know, at the time you're starting, or at least I was, you know, I was starting from scratch. I, I had never had to operate a, a remote before. Um, so for something like that, I, I needed a lot of practice and somebody to show me how to do it. And luckily at the station, you know, people like that who were pretty accomplished broadcasters, even as juniors or seniors, you know, they would take the time to show you um, how to, you know, where the equipment was or, or, or how to use it or, or the best, um, you know, best practices or, um, hey, and then they would listen to your tapes. So they would say, they would offer advice like, oh, great job. Hey, have you thought about this? Or, um, or maybe when you put together a news report, try, you know, leading uh, with this story because you want to keep um, this in mind. So it was just, uh, it was practical experience, you know, practical knowledge they would uh, they would pass down. And it was also just a support a- as well because if you, if you had a recorded segment that, uh, that, that aired and you worked hard on it, you know, after the show, you would get like an encouraging word or, you know, somebody who was uh, anchoring the show would say, mm. oh, that was a great job. You know, thanks for submitting that. That really added a lot to the show. And having that reinforcement and that uh, that positivity from people who you looked up to as an underclassman, um, you know that 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 really meant a lot. Mm, mm, that's fantastic. Um, would it be fair to say that you felt comfortable socially at the station right away? It sounded like everybody was very welcoming. I, I, I did, and one of the reasons why. I also joined the station besides all the professional benefits is being a commuter uh, and growing up in a, in, in Massapequa park. Um, y- you know, I, I was wondering when I first joined the station, I said, you know, if I'm not dorming here, I wonder if I'm going to miss something, you know, from the social side. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, it's a lot of, you know, after classes, you know, it, it, if you're with friends in your dorm or, you know, just like in a common area or even just hanging out on, on campus, you know, a lot of your um, your social interactions, I, I felt, might have come that way. And I said going in, I said, well, I won't have that opportunity. And I really just didn't want to – I didn't want my college experience to be just drive to campus, go to class every now and then if you need the library, get something to eat and, and go home. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted something a little bit more than that. So I thought um, – you know, joining the, the station, I said, well, you know, it would give me something um, to do. It, it would give me a reason to, to stick around campus uh, for, you know, for longer that, that, you know, it's not just going to class and then going home and that's your routine. Uh, so, and it definitely did provide that, but also the one thing that it was really reinforced right away is by being a communication student, when you join WRHU right away, you're with a whole bunch of people who immediately have a similar interest to you. And even though you might want to do some different things in the station specifically, your overall goal and it seems like your overall sensibilities are pretty aligned right away with a lot of people that, that you meet. So it's very easy easy to make friends because it's not like they're throwing you in with, oh, this person's a physics major or this person, um, you know, is like a like a vi- you know playing the violin or something like that. Right away, you know, you're you're with people who have that you know have similar interests. So it's easy to make introductions because if you're both in the sports department, well, you're working together, you know, right away. Obviously, you know, the odds of you liking the same team or the same sport are pretty high. So you have something that immediately, um, you know, there's a, there's a tie there. There's something to build on. And the same thing with, you know, if you're for, for music, you know, if you're interested in being a DJ and you're joining a rock and roll oasis, you know, if you meet like the producer of the show or, or other people who are DJs, 
they like similar music to you or they like going, you know, probably the same concerts or things like that. So there was a, so if you join the station, there's a really good baseline for developing those relationships right, right away. And that's exactly what happened, you know, for the, I th- I'm still friends to this day, I think with about five or six people I was in the training class with. Mm. So, so let alone uh, the station it, itself, um, who I have a pretty broad network of, of friends. Actually, you know, I, I think daily uh, I have a text chain. There's about five or six people that, you know, I'm, I was friends with at the station who I talk to to this day about, you know, just, you know, we just talk about everything. And a lot of them are married and have kids now. So that, that's interesting just to think about <laughs> where we were versus yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just having, um, you know, it, it, it was, it felt like a very comfortable place right away. And for, I think for a lot of people um, who joined it, you walked in the building and you kind of got that sense of feeling that, Hey, I belong here. And it, it, it you know, it felt like um, it, it was just a very good gateway to develop those relationships and uh, I, a lot of people met their spouses at, at, at the station or, or, you know, or their best man or, or, or maid of honor or, you know, these, these lifelong uh, friendships and, and connections were all started at, at the station. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a special place uh, for a lot of reasons. But, um, but those connections uh, definitely play a, a major role in, in, in the, how special the place is. Hmm. And obviously the, your time at the station uh, was very important to you and these relationships, as you just said. But I'd like to ask this question to sort of wrap up um, and see how you can uh, articulate this. I'd like you to go back, if you can, in your mindset at 18 years old and starting at the station. What did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean to you then? And what did it become? You know, it's funny because I didn't have huge expectations. I really walked into the station just hoping that it would be a uh, supplemental in the sense of, you know, at the time I knew that I wanted to be a newspaper reporter, which, you know, which is funny to, for somebody to say out loud in 2023. Uh, but it, but it really did help me. I, I work in public relations now. Um, I, I've been in this field for about 10 years, so it's a related field, uh, but I always knew I wanted to be a writer. So my expectations for the radio station was, Hey, this is a chance just to, you know, develop a little bit of a different skill set that can still help you in your overall goal. Um, it can also, you know, keep you involved on campus and maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make a few friends. And that was, that was basically it for my expectations. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't go into it wanting to be a, a, an anchor or, a, you know, work at 1010 wins or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I just thought it would be a good, um, you know, just, just complimentary skill sets. And instead, I, you know, I was there four years as an undergraduate. I, um, when I graduated, I became a graduate assistant in the athletic department at Hofstra, uh, where I got my master's in journalism. So I stayed at the station as a graduate student for two more years. And then uh, my, uh, my second full-time job, I, I worked in Florida for about a year, came back to Hofstra in 2011, and I was a sports information director um, in the athletic department full-time uh, for five years. So... I, in that job, I was working closely with with the new generation of RHU students oh, cool. uh, because if they needed um, interviews, for, especially for the sports department, because if they needed interviews with players and coaches, that was my job. I, I was the public relations contact for my sports teams. Um, so what started out is just, uh, oh, you know, this could be a nice little uh, hobby or a supplemental thing to do. Uh, it became a big part of my life from the time I was 18 to, you know, about 30. And, you know, even now I'm part of the alumni association and I'm still involved. Um, so, you know, you're talking a, a, 
a 20 year relationship. I'm lucky enough. Um, about nine years ago, they made me an honorary staff member. Um, so, you know, it's a strong connection to, to the station now going on, uh, you know, this is the third decade. And, um, so, so what this place means to me and what, what it ended up becoming as part of uh, a core, uh, component of my life, uh, versus what I expected coming in, it's just a uh, night and day, but it, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, if, if it's something, if things in life, if you're interested in something, and you think, um, you know, joining a, an organization or joining something can help you in those goals, you know, definitely just uh, pursue it uh, because you never know the impact that, that it can have. Because if it's a small impact, then, then, it, then it's fine. You know, it still helps you, uh, but it could lead to bigger things or, or something that means uh, that can mean uh, end up becoming a, a major part of your life. And that's exactly what uh, WRHU has meant to me. Wow. This has been this has been uh, quite a journey from from this Brian, who was a commuter student and a print journalism major, to yourself. Uh, I have I've loved every second of this conversation, and I'm just I'm just enjoying the whole thing. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, and I have some more questions, and hopefully you have some more stories. We can do this again. Sure, absolutely, anytime. Thank you so much, Brian.